Welcome to This is the Bad Place, a podcast about the NBC TV show The Good Place and the journey of two ex-evangelicals leaving white evangelicalism. listeners, we wanted to just give you a heads up that there are spoilers in this episode from the end of season one of The Good Place TV show. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want it to be ruined, you won't want to listen to this episode yet. So we just wanted to give you a heads up before we go into the episode. Hello, everyone. Good morning. I mean, it's probably not morning when you're listening to this, although maybe it is. But we are back with another episode of This is the Bad Place. We're talking about episode five today. Yes, episode five, which is called Doomsday Christ. Okay, I got to look this up. I'm going to take a guess. It's called Doomsday 55 Crisis Emergency Levels 55. Okay. It is called Category 55 Emergency Doomsday Crisis. A delightful title i was close for a not very delightful episode is what i will say yes that same stressful like feeling of being a kid and watching movies that where just everything goes bad and you're like i can't handle this was my feeling yes because last episode episode four i was like i was starting to get those vibes right just bad things are going to keep happening in the good place and our characters are going to have to figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely it. Uh, however, you know, going back to some of the lost illusions, like, do you notice in these flashbacks, they had the lost sound and the doomsday crisis. Like, it makes me think of that little bunker. It, and So it turns out that loss occupies a space in your mind that is vacated in mine. No, it occupies a space in Mike Shore's mind. Yes. And somehow remnants of it cling to me. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, now that you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, totally. That totally fits. It's just so funny because this is a, you know, like a Gilmore Girls set, and that is a deserted island, which is the point. I understand that is the point. Uh-huh. So I can appreciate that. Very but different, but very similar, but very right, different. Right, it just doesn't click in my mind, in part because of the aesthetics, I guess. Okay, so... Uh, Instead of you and I recapping it, should we listen to Mark Evan Jackson recap it? Let's do it. Okay. Eleanor surprises herself with her first selfless action, but she finds Chidi is avoiding her. Tahani is upset to find out she has a low neighborhood ranking. Michael puts the neighborhood on lockdown due to the expanding sinkhole. Eleanor and Chidi are fighting when Michael asks them to take in another couple, Bart and Nina. Tahani goes into brunch hosting overdrive to increase her ranking. Bart and Nina pry at Chidi and Eleanor's tension. Chidi divulges that he's upset because he never had a soulmate on Earth. Eleanor apologizes for the situation and gives Chidi a card he can use to get her to fork off whenever he feels overburdened. Michael ends the lockdown due to the fixed sinkhole, but confides in Eleanor that he has no idea what happened and that they're going to further investigate. There's a flashback in which Tahani is repeatedly upstaged by her sister Camilla in their quests for their parents' affection. All right. So I always love hearing Mark Evan Jackson summarize it for us. There's parts in there that I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot that happened. Can I say something really quick? Because yes. people have messaged me on Instagram. They're like, did you know that Mark Evan Jackson actually was a voice actor in Adventures in Odyssey, Dr. Dobson's conservative right wing propaganda kid show? To that, I say, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, me and Chris did a whole episode on. We did a whole their, series. A whole season. Yes. On 
a whole series of Adventures in Odyssey episodes that was what from 2014. Yes. Um, yeah, we did it in 2000. Yeah, it was like 2014, some somewhere in there. We did it in 2019. Yes. And it's a whole series about feminazis taking over the small town America. It's about fighting back against tolerance. Yes. So it's about fascism, really. It's called The Ties That Bind. Um, and you can go look up that season of our podcast. And we definitely discuss the Mark Evan Jackson of it all. He did, but, however, leave. So he's not, you know, working with them anymore, which is good. Yeah. I mean, what is wild is he was doing a this voice acting for Adventures in Odyssey at the same time that he was playing Captain Holt's husband on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. So Adventures in Odyssey... We don't have time to get into all of that, but it is very relevant to our interests. I like that you're okay? saying we don't. We have gotten into it. We you have just gotta, gotten into you it. You just got to rewind. And a we might of get years. into it again since we're writing a book about Dr. Dobson. But uh, yeah, they've had really high quality voice actors, which is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I hope Mark Evan Jackson never works for them ever again. So there yeah. We go. I mean, just a little side note. Someone uh, sent me a message on Instagram recently um, looking at the the claymation version of Frog and Toad from like the 80s. Oh, yeah. And the voices Gay were... Gay icons, Frog and Toad. Yes, exactly. Okay. And the v- people that voiced them were the people that voiced Mr. Whitaker and Eugene, which are two of the main characters from Adventures in Odyssey. And didn't they voice like Winnie the Pooh and all that stuff? Yes, totally. So they're very prominent voice actors. Like the, the voice actor of Mr. Whitaker, who this show revolves around, was not a Christian. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Anywho, uh, listen to old seasons of our podcast for that. Okay, so watch, rewatch. Do you remember watching this episode when it came out in the fall of 2016? I believe in the beginning of October 2016. Well, I'll tell you what I was not thinking about. Okay, what? I was not thinking about lockdown. <laughs> And COVID. Okay. <laughs> like, it was just wild because... Yes. Right? That's they, a big plot point. Yes. There's... Uh, this sinkhole is going on, and basically, um, Michael says everyone needs to stay in their homes for somewhere between uh, an hour and 11 months. Yeah. Which, you know, yeah. it's wild to be like, oh, we've actually lived through that. Yes. Like, so that's rewatch... Yes, That's sorry. how you feel now. What's okay. the watch? Yeah, I'm sorry. What's the first time? <laughs> I answered in the negative of you, what you I just wasn't. Did it, you just reversed it. That's yes, fine. Yes, right. Um, you know, I think it was just that that aspect of, like, how is this going to resolve? How much can I engage with these people? They're so stressful. Like, I don't can't be too invested in their happiness because this is so stressful. Yeah, that's so, how you felt when yes, you first watched it? Yes. How did you feel when one of the characters introduces a marriage therapist? Yes. Well, it's interesting because that was long before I was a marriage therapist. Not long before. Okay. Weren't you was, like heading towards that? Yes, that was, okay, that was like a year and a half before. Because you'd been interested. Yes, yeah. two years before. I do remember that feeling, relating to that feeling of like, oh, it, I mean, this is kind of, sad and vulnerable i guess on my part of like i remember being like i wouldn't want to do couples therapy because it would just point out how what a bad partner i am how what? terrible i that's am that's what you thought yes uh-huh dude you're a good partner you and you always have been oh that's really nice so i mean that i would have really... divorced your ass if you weren't <laughs> that, right yes don't you think that's yes, true that's true <laughs> okay. yeah i mean it really speaks to like how i viewed myself back then um, oh you know and okay. so uh, so yeah, on the, you know, I was kind of just reflecting on that of like I'm in a really different place now, um, 
and I am a couples therapist now. Um, and I just, I mean, I do think that's the anxiety that comes up because the couples therapist is like, I'm just going to get in your relationship and poke and prod and yeah. see all the things that aren't working. That's not really what they do. Huh? No, it's not. But I think that's a big fear that people have. That's not what I do. Right. I'm an Enneagram 9 couples therapist. <laughs> so I'm like, let's, let me just meet you where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those were the things that were on my mind. How about for you when you first watched yeah, it? Yeah, I think this is definitely like episode five, right? It is pretty stressful. Just bad things happening, bad things happening, bad things happening, bad things happening. And, um, the sinkhole being the obvious one. I do think originally, I do think the most compelling parts were like Dahani's flashbacks to when she was a kid. And so you know, this is the first time we actually see one of the main four characters, like, in relationship to their family, mm-hmm. right? We've had flashbacks where Jason was with a friend, but this is the first time we see it with the family, and we see Tahani's messed up family, and sort of is starting to explain, like, why is she obsessed with being a good person and a people pleaser and fixing things and being seen as the hero? And so that was uh, that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. That did not feel stressful, those parts of the episode. Right. Right? Yeah, totally. And it, Mark Evan Jackson talked about this, but she comes across the rankings. She is lowest in the rankings in The Good Place. And Second it, to lowest. Glenn is number, <laughs> is in the last place. You're right. I'm sorry. I even took a note of that. Glenn is, is Glenn. below her. And um, Glenn is someone that we see throughout the show. So we kind of have a point of reference for yes. who he is. He's a nice guy, you know, but I guess he's last place. Really, these flashbacks show us why that's so important to Tahani and what drives her. And I will say, I'll jump in with what I noticed this time was that piece of like, I feel like when I first watched it, I wasn't as aware as I am now about how those early childhood experiences, family dynamics really drive a lot of the decisions and motivations we have today. It's funny. I mean, that's so true. And it seems obvious to us now, but it, I don't think it was with it in 2016 and and there's so many reasons right where you're like no 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 like my childhood was fine i can barely remember it i'm sure it didn't impact me negatively you know mm-hmm, exactly <laughs> right now in 2023 we're like oh shit mm-hmm. it it impacts us so much so i'm so excited as this show goes on it does a lot more of that and we eventually kind of see the family social dynamics for each character and it's just really illuminating so i love that and I think on rewatching it, I had some really interesting experiences and revelations, but I'm going to wait to talk about that till we get, you know, mm. to our what's the big overall ethical question of the episode part. Okay. Okay. So what were some of your favorite things about this episode? Um, I Part of it is, you know, you just start to really enjoy and feel connected to these characters. And so I love when, so they're in a lockdown, Eleanor is watching TV uh, Chidi's complaining about it and she's like I'd love to not watch TV but you cancelled school yeah. and then she's like wait a minute like who am I like yeah. <laughs> I'm not the person that you know is happy or that wants to go to school and not watch TV yeah Eleanor is not stressed out for much of this episode she's feeling proud of herself she's making progress she's becoming a good person right because mm-hmm. she let someone go ahead of her yogurt line you know so right, yeah. I think that's funny 
I also liked um, when Michael is practicing Western Hemisphere small talk, yes. right? So he said, one of the things he says is like, have you read that New Yorker article yet? Um, but what I really- You haven't seen Hamilton? <laughs> yes, I was going to say that was my favorite part, in part because it just takes us right back, back to, to 2016. 2016. That's like a time jump. Yes, you know what I mean? I was right. like yanked out of my body into like, pardon me, are you Aaron Burser? <laughs> <laughs> right. Back before really anyone had seen it yet, but we were but we were all listening to the soundtrack all three hours of it. Uh-huh. Over and over and over. I'm not ashamed to admit it. No, it's I great. did. Yeah, it really was just like takes you back to that moment. I was so. also reading New Yorker articles, so that's great. Right. That's me. I mean, that's there's so many times where I Brooklyn Nine Nine stuff makes like where this show makes me think about Brooklyn Nine Nine okay. in part because of the connections. And there's like truly this like Mark Evan Jackson's character where he's like, Have you read this New Yorker article? Yeah, yet? there's a whole episode about that, uh-huh, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to see those connections. I won't deep dive too much, but for those of you that know, just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, Chris was a huge Brooklyn Nine Nine fan. And, DL uh, had to dip it's at okay. some point <laughs> around 2020. It, it's okay. We all know why. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. And Mike Schur and them eventually dipped as well. So let's just put that out mm-hmm. there. Um, okay. One of my favorite things is that, okay, so Chidi's blackboard in the beginning, right, is all about utilitarianism. So that's like what Chidi's teaching Eleanor and Jason about. And then Jason sort of like comes up with this example and it's just so unhinged uh, and it just made me laugh a lot. But that was the only Jason we got, really. I know. So I appreciated every second of it. Right. With the stolen boogie boards and all that stuff. It was great. Yeah, basically he framed this woman that was going to take one of his dance partners out of the dance group. Isn't Donkey Dog his dad? We find out later. Yeah. Am I spoiling that? Yeah, so we're, <laughs> so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to cut that part. But it makes it so much better if you know that he sabotaged his dad's right. girlfriend. We will we will definitely cover that in the spoiler zone. Okay, I think that is such a good picture of utilitarianism, and I think like in some sense the writers are sort of like we get to educate people about utilitarianism through this ridiculous character. Yeah, it's funny because it's not really through Chidi, although it ostensibly is. Mm -hmm. It's more through Eleanor and Jason that we actually learn about some of these ethical frameworks and concepts. I mean, let me tell you, I listened to a podcast with Peter Singer yesterday, who's a utilitarian ethicist. Yeah. Who's who's quite controversial, I think we should say. Yes. Peter Singer, not Pete Seeger. Because <laughs> no. I get them confused, but they are very different. Right, yes. Okay, not Pete Seeger, the folk, sing- folk no, singer. No, Peter Singer. And uh, yeah, I tried to listen to it, and it made no sense to me at all. So I need people like Jason to explain it in dance group terms. Exactly. Now, I was in, I got, I was in a Peter Singer phase. Mm-hmm. I don't know when this was. I feel like it was a year or two before The Good Place came out. Because I was really into this book called Strangers Drowning, which is about like, People who are altruistic to the point of, like, making everyone around them miserable. A Doug Forsett. Oh, another spoiler. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, my resolve is cracking. Um, so, yeah, I think 
it's just interesting to be like the people that are writing this show are interested in the things, you know, I've been interested for a long time. So yeah, I'm curious if we go to this is the bad place segment, what do you think is the main ethical question or sort of the main topic being discussed in this episode? Sounds like utilitarianism because you were listening to podcasts with Peter Singer. Uh-huh. Yes, but then I didn't understand utilitarianism, so I can't tell you whether this is a utilitarian argument or not. But I think the question is, is it ethically good or superior for Chidi to suffer for Eleanor's well-being? Okay. Because that's what's happening. And Chidi says that. He's like, this is supposed to be the good place. I'm supposed to be on a pond, in a boat, reading French poetry, and that's sipping wine. That's his view wine. of the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. With a soulmate. Yes, with a soulmate, and instead, I am trying to teach you ethics and doing the dishes for you, so that you can maybe change. Yeah, and so I think that's the like the question that came up for me is like, is it good to suffer for others? And like, but I think part of that question is like, who are you suffering for? Like, I th- I think it's good to suffer for those uh, towards equality. Right, those that are suffering more, like to suffer with them or for them. But what we're talking about here, in some sense, is these are Eleanor's consequences and actions. And Chidi is like showing up and like suffering for her well being. So I think that's the question that I have. Okay. What did you? Well, okay. So, (laughs) Grisbin, I hate to do this to you. I hate. To do this to you. I think the show wants us to focus on like Chidi's blackboard and utilitarianism and Jeremy Bentham and what is utility, you know, and Mm -hmm. Chidi's a really good person and is trying really hard and he's suffering because he's helping Eleanor. But like, I kind of think this episode is a perfect encapsulation of being trapped in a bad system. And spinning your wheels constantly to try and figure out how to be good in a bad system. So, I am ruining the entire premise of this podcast by saying we have to talk about the twist today. Because I think it is vital to this episode. You mean we have to spoil it? Yes. Okay. Okay? I'm sure everybody who's listening has already watched. So, we all know this is the bad place. And Uh once you have that, first and foremost, in your mind, you will see that Chidi obsessing about how to be ethical is actually keeping him from understanding that this is the bad place. Okay? It's keeping him trapped in this perpetual cycle of trying to improve Eleanor, wondering if he's being ethical, you know, like, making a case for why he should suffer instead of being like, wait, why am I suffering? Like, why is this so stressful? Why are these two people being placed in my home who were, like, designed to make me feel incredible? But him focusing on the ethics is keeping him from seeing it's the bad place. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh-huh. So that's why I'm like, oh, we have to talk about it. <laughs> You're bringing up a lot of I'm ethical so questions for me. sorry to do this to you. But I'm like... We have to. This, to me, is the overarching theme of this first season, is how all of these things, including like our past and our trauma and how we decide to live 
in a world that inherently is super messed up and that says it's good but is actually bad for most people while a, while a few you know profit and mm-hmm. have a good life and all the ways we kind of get just sucked into these things that keep us distracted from actually saying no this is the bad place this is not a good system this isn't good for anybody i'm mm-hmm. really stressed out and i'm i want to take down this system right and so that's why i'm like I we have to talk about it today because <laughs> okay. all this other stuff is literally just, like Mike sure does care about utilitarianism. Is mm-hmm. Mike sure out there talking about utilitarianism all the time on social media? No. You know, he is trying to combat fascism. Like he is trying to work against these systems that are oppressing people. And he does that in so many amazing and creative ways. Even Brooklyn Nine-Nine was a very interesting way for him to do that even through like the police and so Mm -hmm. i'm like mike sure is jewish mike sure has studied all these things and i think he was really trying to say systems that hurt people like we have to focus our attention on them Mm -hmm. but instead here's all the ways that once if you're born into this system that says it's good that says this is how it works how trapped you can get into trying to make that system good or trying to make it work that you can't actually see that it's bad. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think that's the central premise. Yeah, I think of season so. one. Okay. Okay, let's take a moment. Okay. So I think this ties into like what I walked away with, which is like in this system, Chidi is tasked with making Eleanor good mm-hmm. to make the system good. Yes. You know, I th- I think. I we both relate to Chidi in this sense of like we are trying to make the system work. If we do enough emotional labor, if we suffer enough as individuals, then we can right the wrongs in this larger system. Yeah. Right. And I think with that is and I'll talk about this a little bit later in religious trauma, but this sense of like if I am suffering, yeah. if I feel bad, yeah. then I am doing the right thing. Yeah. Right? Even this comes up with Chidi. Like, I'm sure in his mind, like, what's the right thing? To go read French poetry or to help this person? Yeah. Right? If I'm on the pond feeling good, that is the wrong thing to do. The right thing to do is to help Eleanor, even though it means I'm suffering. Yeah. And I think what that does, I'm thinking especially of women, I'm thinking especially of marginalized people, of this like, well, if you just try hard enough to help this person change, then this system will work. Then marriage will work. Then, you know, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. So you're you're coming at it for more of like that personal, like I should... I should embrace suffering, you know, in order to help people, which I think is really true. And it's one of the impacts of this kind of system and thinking and and just trying to survive, right? right? Trying to survive in a system that says it's good, but it's actually bad. Like, that messes with you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think all four of the characters are really interesting approaches to how to deal with that central conceit, Right. Uh, America is supposed to be the good place. Um, mm. In this one, you know, heaven, the afterlife is supposed to be the good place. But I, <laughs> but I, heaven is racist. <laughs> but as Jason has already mentioned, heaven is racist. I just saw that because there's a keychain right here next to me that says that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we have to spoil it. We have to talk about this on the main feed because it is truly what this show is about. And I think we are at a point in American history, even 
what, seven years from when this show originally aired where we are seeing nothing good comes from trying to fix a system that is fundamentally broken. I mean, we could just spin our wheels for seven more years and see if it's going to get better. Do you think it's going to get better if we just keep trying to make our current government and uh, even let's go to white evangelicalism, you know, Uh like let's go to white evangelicalism. Do you think if we worked really hard, Crispin, and wrote, because my first book came out in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I've written three books for Christians. Right. This, yeah, your book came out one month before this aired. Yep. So I was, you know, doing my own business of seeing some troubling things in my Christian community. And so I wrote a whole book about uh, basically me trying to be a missionary and going horrible and me just becoming aware that my religion seemed to be only good news for people just like me and same thing for my country, right? Mm -hmm. White, Christian, um, you know, straight. At that time, I was cis, you know? (laughs) Uh Um, And and then you have also written a book. And so we've definitely done the cheaty route, right? We're Mm -hmm. like, let's educate Christians on how far from the mark they are when it comes to their ethics of loving their neighbors. That's literally how I thought of myself. Mm -hmm. And you are coming from a more therapeutic Mm -hmm. viewpoint, if you want to talk a little bit about your book. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just the part of it is the the theology of a God that... um, that punishes you to make you better, mm-hmm. that is disgusted with you, that thinks you don't deserve anything good, but I'm going to be graceful and give you something good, even though you don't deserve it, drives a lot of politics. And I even mentioned that in my book a little bit about things um, like the way that this shows up in politics. If we have this view of a God that is um, more devoted to order um and the status quo than the actual needs of people. Yeah. So I, I think like, <laughs> I I don't know, like I feel a little worried about this, but at the same time, like it's totally past the time of worrying about this. And one thing I think with this episode, even the title, right, is, you know, level 55 doomsday crisis. And even this whole thing of like Michael, now that we can talk about Michael being a demon, right, uh-huh. it's very important because he's running around trying to get people into a state of panic, putting them into these situations that cause them anxiety, cause them internal anguish, cause them to fight with each other, cause them never to be able to rest and feel and think enough to be like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem like the good place. And so Mm -hmm. the perpetual crisis is such like a point of modern culture, but it's also a point of like authoritarian any kind of authoritarianism, left-wing or right-wing, right, is a perpetual, like, warfare machine, right? There always is an enemy that has to be defeated to get your people into power, to get, you know, the masses motivated. And so I was thinking about that a lot since I'm studying fascism a lot right now. Um, I was thinking about this perpetual crisis is such a component of fascist movements, if mm. I'm being perfectly honest. If you keep people whipped up and anxious and unable to stop and think and feel, like, they don't resist. They don't mm-hmm. see what's really going on. And I think this episode is honestly a really interesting picture of that. Yeah. I mean, th- yeah, just thinking about the sinkhole thing, right? Like, obviously, the sinkhole is fabricated. 
but it creates this narrative that is has everyone stressed out and they can't stop and look at like how is how are my relationships right like why do i not feel connected to my soulmate because it's just in this yeah frenzy of stress which yeah. we've been talking about feeling as we watch yeah. like even for us like i'm noticing like uh-huh. what are you know it kind of more metaphorically but where is the camera trying to make me look Right. Yeah. And even just thinking about this aspect of like us watching this and um, the first time around and there being a marriage therapist yeah. and a identity theft uh, professional. Uh-huh. Right. And it's like, how did I not know that like this was intentional? Right. That's the other thing. When rewatching it, you're like, holy shit, this is so obvious. And yet, like I mentioned in our last spoiler, so it's like, Nobody watching this season the first time around, like there was no chatter online. There was no chatter in the message boards that this was ever the bad place. And that's because they had Kristen Bell and Ted Danson and Ted Danson saying, this is the good place and smiling and looking dapper. And like, that's all we all needed to be like, sure, Mm -hmm. this is a stressful good place, but okay, it's the good place, you know? And like, now that we know, going back and rewatching it, I'm just like, it is kind of harrowing how much we will believe something is good Mm -hmm. if certain people tell us it's good. And that was my life growing up in white evangelicalism. Now, I had it from so many different perspectives. My dad was a pastor, so of course he's telling me it's good news. My mom homeschooled us, was obsessed with... Uh, religion and it's funny my mom was also obsessed with doomsday stuff that's how mm. that's how they really got her into yeah. it is um she was totally convinced that the end times was happening all the time and so i've seen how doomsday stuff has kept my mom in particular uh kind of trapped in right-wing politics for decades and it's only gotten worse yeah. um so you know this is like personal to me but i also think this is not just white evangelicalism i think this is about america in general and you know, Mike Sure, like, I I was loving it because he let loose on Twitter a few times, you know, after Donald Trump was elected. Mm. And right after he was elected, he said, um, you know, America has always survived its many disastrous political decisions. And this feels like the most disastrous. Talking about Donald Trump being elected. Mm-hmm. He said, I believe we can survive it. The problem is this isn't just a political decision. It's a clarion call to forces of white nationalism, anti-Semitism, and fascism. I thought the country had progressed enough to shut down a man whose campaign was fueled only by fear and hate, but it has not. So if Mike Schur is like, we basically elected the most outwardly fascist person in American history in 2016, like... I think we need to take that seriously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and he had already written this entire first season. He'd already done all this, which I think is so fascinating. But mm-hmm. we can still see, like, I, I hear the same thing with Americans being like, no, America's a democracy. No, fascism could never happen here. This is the good place. This is the good place. This is the good place. And like, if you, and so I've been doing a lot of work just to regulate my nervous system. I am no longer in contact, constant contact with conservative Christians because that's kind of like, I wasn't writing to conservative Christians, but evangelicals, even if they think they're progressive, they're just so trapped in trying to make something good that they've been mm-hmm. told is good, that they don't really have a lot of capacity for critique or listening to critique. So taking a step back from 
writing to Christians and taking a step back from trying to change the conservative, you know, fascist leaning people in my own life after doing that for how many years and seeing no progress. I and doing nervous system regulation work, I was finally able to be like, this is the bad place. I've been trying to push that away for so long, but I think all three of my books and, and yours kind of point to us being like, something's wrong, but we're going to work so, 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 so hard to make it right. That's why you and I are a lot like JD, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is right. the most cheaty response to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I've taken some time away, I can be like, no, it's all a mess. Mm-hmm. This is the bad place. Mm-hmm. And we can... Only by calling it that can we actually start to move forward. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think America is quickly moving towards fascism and has been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And just because we call it a democracy and just because we say it could never happen here, that doesn't make it true. Right. Just objectively. Um, I, I don't know if you uh, want me to get into <laughs> the fascism of it all. Because there's two levels of which to watch this show. Right. And I think it's okay to talk about both of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So. Okay. So I know that I'm probably losing people when I'm talking about fascism. And you can interchange that with authoritarianism. You can interchange that with a system that calls itself good but actually is oppressing people and it only benefits a few. But let's just take a step back think about the past few episodes we've already watched, right? And talking mm. about Chidi, Tahani, like they don't seem to spend a lot of time thinking about how only a tiny percentage of people get into the good place, right? Mm-hmm. And that is a direct result of them being like, I've bought into the system and I've worked extremely hard, you know, to get mm-hmm. to the top. And mm-hmm. I think this is so important for those of us who are raised in religions that set up that kind of dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Evangelicalism yeah. said, like, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Like, mm-hmm. anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of the few who's strong enough to do it, you deserve eternal life. I really feel like this plays into the myth of meritocracy, right? Yeah. So that's e- white evangelicalism, which I think explains a lot of why if you have that theology – that it also plays into like people that make the right decisions, you know, don't experience poverty or whatever it is, right? Like if you are doing well, then it's because of choices you made. If you've if you're not doing well, it's also because of choices you made. So I don't need to feel compassion or empathy towards yeah. you. Yeah. So anyways, a good place is a show about how to resist fascism, but we'll get into that okay. as we keep going. Uh-huh. If you're uncomfortable with that word, I, you know, look up the definition of it, uh, look at history. And I don't think, I mean, I know Mike Schur is aware of all these things. Mm-hmm. And for him to specifically call out fascism in 2016, I think is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep that in our minds as we keep talking about this show. I, I just love this show. Mm-hmm. It is more important to me now than it was in 2016. Yeah, right. I mean, it is it it is such a great show, even though it causes so much stress. So I'm wondering, like, how do we make sense of the suffering of individuals in this system? Right. The narrative is you are suffering for the good of others. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think this ties into my, you know, I want to tie this into the religious trauma part, which is I grew up, you know, Okay, I will use a phrase. You might have religious trauma if, Mm -hmm. 
right? You believed that if it was uncomfortable or if it felt bad, it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious from this like understanding fascism, how does that help fascism. Yeah, because for us, you know, we were trained early on not to trust ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So if you if you were raised evangelical Christian, like from the 1970s on, or even if you were Catholic or mainline and your parents utilized like evangelical parenting resources like Dr. Dobson, uh, right, they they were obsessed with this idea of original sin in children. So children are born inherently bad and must be disciplined Mm -hmm. to respect godly authority. So this is just what all the parenting books said. They sold millions of copies. We were raised like that. So basically when I was six, right, my parents were like, you need to become a Christian to be saved so you can go to heaven mm-hmm. and repent of all your sin, right? You're very sinful, blah, blah, blah. So we so we grow up believing there's something inherently wrong with us. There's something bad about us. We cannot trust ourselves. We must always look to an outside authority to tell us if we're good or not. Mm-hmm. Like, that's exactly what Mussolini was going for. Mm-hmm. He wanted fascism to align with religion. And it does, Crispin. Mm-hmm. Every fascist regime, right, has been in Christian countries. Of course, authoritarianism can happen anywhere. Right. I'm talking specifically about fascism. Mm. That happens in countries where there is a highly dysregulated, emotionally volatile, lower middle class of white Christians. DL has been doing their homework. Does this sound familiar yes. to America? Uh-huh. So I think mostly it's that piece of you can't know you're good unless this outside authority figure says you're good. Mm-hmm. Right. And for Chidi, he's like, it's moral philosophers. Right. And Eleanor's like, no, nobody can tell me I'm good. In fact, gets really triggered when people mm-hmm. in her actual life do. But then in the good place, she's like, okay, fine. Mm. I am here. The system's all encompassing. I will try to be good. Um, and we can see her getting sucked into it a little bit. Of course, she resists too. But she's like, yay, I'm getting good. I'm going to I'm gonna finally get the, get the rules right and fit right. into this system, you know? Yeah. And she's so caught up in that that she's not really spending a ton of time being like, this sucks, you know? Right. So. Well, it's so interesting because Chidi is looking at the system and part of him, I mentioned this before, part of him knows it's wrong in the sense that he cares about Eleanor and does not want her to suffer. Yes. So on one level, he's like, yes, the system works. You know, you don't belong here. On another level, he's like, from a, from his actual like inner being is like, actually, I don't want you to suffer, and I am willing to suffer to do that. And I think about that piece is, I, I think this just resonates so much for me. I would guess it resonates for you of being faced with the injustice and inequality in the world, mm-hmm. seeing suffering. Mm-hmm. Chidi is seeing Eleanor suffering or potentially suffering if she goes to hell, right? And then it's like, so the right thing for me to do is to try to fix the system or stand in the gap or those sorts of things. It's sort of like an analogy would be huge companies that are polluting the planet and they then say, like, if you buy our green product, (laughs) right, then you can fix it. And it's actually the shifting of responsibility. Exactly. Now you're tracking with me, Crispin. Now we're getting there. Uh Because the truth is, you can't fix these systems. Like, you you can't, you you can't fix them with them. You can't, you know, you, what's that phrase? Like, you know, you can't dismantle the palace with the master's tools. Okay. Well, I need to finish my thought. You can't fix a system if you still think it's good. 
Mm. You have to call it bad. You have to say this is the bad place, which is the huge twist at the end of this season. I love that you, (laughs) this is who you are. You're like, I cannot call the good place for the rest of season one. Welcome to being autistic, everyone. This is me. I can't handle it. We have to talk. And this is a much more interesting conversation to be had. Right? Otherwise, we're just pretending and we're like, oh, what what does Jeremy Bentham have to say? I'm just like, no, Chidi is trapped looking at thinking that teaching ethics will make this bad system good when Mm -hmm. really he is stressed out of his mind. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of our dear sweet listeners (laughs) who've experienced that. I've experienced that. You've experienced that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm ready to call things bad. I'm ready to call systems that oppress people bad. Gen Z is ready for that. Marginalized groups in America have been doing this work for centuries. Like I'm ready to join them. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Right. Yeah. I'm ready to fight fascism because we have basically a year before the next presidential election. Um, and authoritarianism is on the rise, y'all. And it's not just going to go away with magical thinking. I was just imagining like James Baldwin in The Good Place. Like what would he be like? <laughs> you know, like just at a typewriter with a cigarette, oh! like writing That's essays. my idea of The Good Place. Right? You know what I'm saying? Yes. That is awesome. Um, okay. So you might have religious trauma if... You are freaking out right now while listening to me discuss these things. Um, That's all I have to say. (laughs) You mean because there's such a deep drive to believe that it's good and it brings up anxiety. Do you want to think Ted Danson's wrong? Right. Do you want to think your parents have bought into fascist ideology? Mm -hmm. No. Nobody wants to believe this. Okay. We do so much. To try and be like, no, it's okay. It's fine. I can fix it. I just need to work harder. I need to be a better person. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody can have their own, you know. Well, yeah. And I think it is It is about religious trauma. It's broader than that as well. I'm thinking of the book Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman, oh. right, who talks about the same dynamic of whatever the system is, it has to be good. And therefore, the people that have suffered in that system – either are disbelieved mm-hmm. or they are also trying to suppress their own experience to make sense of it psychologically. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Woo! If you guys want to hear more about me talking about fascism, I'm doing that a lot more on my Substack, which is called Healing is My Special Interest. And we do, and I am trying my best to be slightly trauma-informed. Crispin helps. So do, so do people like Judith Herman, right? And psychologists have been thinking about authoritarianism and these systems and how they impact people for a, a really long time. So I think it's it's a it's a good time to be thinking about these things. You can follow me over there. Uh, do we want to go to fun facts? Yes. Okay. Do, are there any fun are facts? Are there any fun facts? <laughs> fun fact, America is careening towards fascism. But actual fun facts, uh, there's this really great website, and it's called the foodplace.cafe, and it's basically <laughs> just a list of every food mentioned in The Good Place, and also the price corresponds to like the episode it's at. But at the very end, if you scroll all the way down to this page, and we'll link it in our show notes... It has a list of the Froyo flavors. So remember the beginning of this episode, Eleanor's at the Froyo shop and there's like so many flavors. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to tell you a few of them? Yes. Okay. Some of the flavors are Empty Inbox, Baby Kittens, Unexpected Hotel Upgrade, 
millennial confidence, which I don't think millennials have any more confidence anymore. What do you think? No. Corner brownie completed Ooh. crossword finding a kidney donor, which we'll come back to that with uh, altruistic people. Uh, the softness of a puppy's tiny ears and the cool side of your pillow. I wonder if you want to look at this, Crispin, if you would ever, if you would have like a favorite yogurt flavor. Yeah. I mean, the cool side of the pillow, as you said that, I was like, I can feel that now. Yeah. There's. I never, ever have an empty inbox. I have like 3,000. I know. Who does? But one of my favorites is caller doesn't leave a voicemail. Like, doesn't leave a voicemail. Ooh, yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, I'm really stuck on the inbox thing. Was that a boomer writer? Probably. <laughs> that was like... Or somebody who just loves that. Now, my fun fact is there's only like two celebrities in this episode. It's actually one celebrity, and they're both Beyonce, and they're both flavors of Froyo. Um, <laughs> one is Beyonce compliments your hair. And the other one is uh, a Beyonce concert. <laughs> so those are two flavors of Froyo. That that leaves our Beyonce total at three so far. Okay. Right? I th- three references? Yeah. Because Michael talked about it in episode four. Uh-huh. 104%. We, uh-huh. And so now we have two Beyonce flavors of Froyo. Mm-hmm. Today's not the day to make a connection between Froyo and... And authoritarianism, but we will get there <laughs> in an episode coming up very soon. Everybody's excited. And just things being off and not trusting your gut, the froyo of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. That's all I have for fun facts. I'm sure there's more. Uh, I guess another fun fact is like, even the people who were directing these episodes, the guest directors did not know about the twist. None of the actors besides Kristen Bell and Ted Danson know about the twist at this point, Hmm. which is why they play their characters so convincingly. Uh I I mean, it is such a mind meld for me when I really step back and think about it. So I enjoy doing that. I just wonder what would it be like to be Kristen Bell, uh, you know, opposite um, Chidi. I know. And she told, she, you know, her husband is Dax Shepard and, he was like watching the first season of the show with her, and he was like, "This is so weird." Like Ted, Ted Danson's like fine, but like, why is he so underused? Like, I just don't mm. get it, and I don't really like it. And she had because she didn't even tell her husband. Uh huh. And so she, as it was airing, right, she was like, "Mm-hmm." Dax uh-huh. Shepard does seem like the sort of person that would accidentally mention it on his podcast. Exactly. <laughs> No, Kristen Bell is right. In fact, the only person who blabbed about this was Ted Danson. He told a lot of people, um, which he shouldn't have. That's not surprising. Right? And um, so, I again, I love all of that information. <laughs> and if you, and again, with the rewatch, Ted Danson is like never alone. You can never see him alone. He's always manufacturing the crisis and the response because when he's alone, he would just be in his demon form. So, mm-hmm. fun facts. Yeah. Um, are we ready to end on This is the Good Place? Yeah. Okay. No listener question today. That's okay. Yeah. I, Keep them coming in. Right. Yeah. I was like, we we took a sharp left turn towards fascism. <laughs> so <laughs> toward, we took a sharp left turn towards discussing fascism. <laughs> 
We will be back with listener questions in yes, the future. We for will. Sure. Okay, Crispin, what is something giving you hope in humanity these days? Boundaries. Oh. Yeah. What does that mean? I'm just in a in a phase of like setting boundaries in my life. And I think part of it is um, you know, thinking about even this episode, um, where Chidi is facing this broken system and trying to make it work. And I think it's really important to recognize like what are the what are the ways that you want to show up for other people, but from a place of um groundedness. Yes. And not so true. out of like I have to fix this. It's so true. And I think that's such a good point. Cause I'm not saying we shouldn't try and help alleviate suffering and and I think even like left wing and myself, right, we can also get caught up in like the fascists are running a perpetual warfare machine. Like we have to be constantly on our guard. And it's like you can fight fascism a little bit every day and then you have to work on yourself, getting in touch with yourself, your needs, your emotions, your body, how you can best use your actual self to resist and not do what somebody else says, but do mm-hmm. it based off of you. And there's so many protest movements that rely on this beautiful idea of individuality as a part of like mass collective. You don't have to be exactly like the other person who's resisting fascism. In fact, you can't. And to claim that is another kind of authoritarianism. So like mm-hmm. we all have to know ourselves better. Therefore, we can operate out of our, our boundaries. You're, that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it's just it's better work for everyone. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I I really like what you said, which is, yeah, we, like, I I know within myself I am a person that cares and is going to do things to alleviate suffering. I'm just going to toot my own horn. Yes. Right? But, like, there, there's a difference between that and, like, frantically trying to respond to the all the suffering I see in the world, right? Because... Oh, who does that? Who's like that? Crashman. <laughs> I'm just talking about me here. I'm trying to get better. I am. I mean, I think that, like, is... I was thinking about this aspect, right? Of, like, this evangelical... And then also, like, this evangelical sense of, like, you have to save the world. Right? And it can also be easily transferred onto, like... Like, I talk about this with clients all the time that have nothing to do with religion. Of, like... Mm -hmm. I have to make these changes in my life to like save the environment or to alleviate this issue. And like, if you're doing that from a place of your passion and that, I think that's great. But if it's from a place of like anxiety, yeah. Um, the, the, and trying to ultimately alleviate it, recognizing like you're not going to be able to ultimately alleviate it yourself. Yeah. Climate change is such a good like example of that. It's so true. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that more. Um, Okay, what's good for me is um, zines. I'm getting into zines. Mm. Getting into that DIY aesthetic. I'm getting into that small batch printing. I got a typewriter off of By Nothing. I've been typing out some intense sentences and cutting and pasting and making my own zines. Um, I like doing things that are embodied, you know, Mm. with my hands and being messy and it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's like a good thing for me. So zines, go to your local bookstores, go to the places you can get zines. Um, there's lots of radical thought happening and lots of creativity mm-hmm. happening. Creativity mm-hmm. is really important to me. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I think that even, that speaks back to the boundaries piece. If we are sort of like compulsively 
trying to fix the system, it doesn't give us the space to do things that might actually like have a really positive impact in the long term. Yeah. Of and creating art that is life-giving and resists authoritarian governments. Exactly. Okay, well, I know this was an intense episode. I'm sorry I tricked you, Crispin. I'm sorry I <laughs> I blew up the entire structure. You need to apologize to the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> if you were listening to this and you didn't know what The Good Place was about, I guess we should put a spoiler at the beginning of this episode. Uh-huh. Forgive me. I am but a humble autist, autistic person, and fascism is my special interest. So if you want to learn about that, I'm a person you might want to listen to every once in a while as I process this. I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm. But this is just the culmination of so many threads of my life of trying to make white evangelicalism good because my parents, my you know, education, my church, my everything told me it was. And I don't think it is anymore. And I think it has absolutely um, been one of the reasons why fascism has has grown in America. So mm-hmm. I'm going to resist it, but I'm going to be weird and creative and do it through watching The Good Place. Thanks again, y'all, for listening. And we, we are definitely going to come back with more listener questions in the future. Uh-huh. Um, so please send those in. But um, now you can do spoiler questions. You can do all of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Give us your thoughts. Give us your opinions. Um, we ha- we had somebody, Emily, right, who was just so awesome and creative and kind of t- talked through all the characters and like being various members of a mega church, uh, mm-hmm. which is up in our spoiler zone uh, that's available right now. If you're a Patreon member for four dollars a month. Yeah, yeah. So it's been so great to hear from y'all, and we are looking forward to continuing to talk about the good place. Until next time, take care. Oh wait. I forgot one of my favorite things about this episode is Eleanor says, you basic. I don't want to end by saying you basic, but I had to put this in here. This is like one of the best lines. End it. No. Goodbye, y'all. You basic. (laughs) Take it sleazy. (laughs) This has been an episode of This is the Bad Place, a special season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station Podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon community to hear two extra episodes a month and join our Facebook group to discuss episodes and more. And we hope you'll join us next time in the bad place. (laughs) 